0: For the past three years, the Science of Reading Star Awards have honored educators who are beacons of light, guiding their classrooms, schools, districts, and most importantly, students through transformations with literacy. Now join us as we honor this year's winners at a special celebration event, which will feature celebrity keynoters and past podcast guests, Mitchell Brookins. Two years ago, one of my students as a school administrator came to me on the playground and he said, Mr. Brookins, I want to be like the other kids. And I said, what do you mean? He said, Mr. Brookins, I want to learn how to read. And Malcolm Mitchell. When I scored a touchdown,
1: they probably put my name in the newspaper. People probably tell me good job all around town. But when I finished one book, no one ever said anything. So which one am I more likely to repeat?
0: Find out more information and register for the 2024 Science of Reading Star Awards ceremony at Amplify.com/slash Star Awards Celebrations. That's Amplify.com slash Star Awards Celebration. All one word. This is Susan Lambert and welcome to Science of Reading the podcast. On this sixth season of the show, we've been highlighting how different parts of the education system can contribute to spreading science-based literacy instruction. Since we started this season, we've heard over and over about how we need to do an episode focused on higher education and the work being done to change the way colleges and universities teach literacy instruction. Well, it's finally time. I'm thrilled to share that my guest this time around is Donna Heitmanek, Founder of the nearly 200,000 person Facebook group, Science of Reading What I Should Have Learned in College. Donna shares the story of starting this group and she talks about the challenges that come with trying to change higher education. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Donna Heitmanik. Well, Donna, welcome. Thank you so much for joining us on today's episode. Thanks for having me. It's a it's an honor to be oh, here. No, it's an honor for us to have you here. It feels like your Facebook group, Science of Reading the Facebook group, like we share we share participants. So many of our listeners are going to be excited to hear from you and your journey in science of reading. Um I'd love for you, so you were a teacher first, right?
1: Oh, yes. Mm -hmm. Many years.
0: Many years. I would love, before we talk about how you came to know the science of reading, to hear your journey of how you became a teacher. Did you always want to be a teacher?
1: I always wanted to be a teacher, although I had so little confidence in high school when I went, um, I was telling my girlfriend's mom I wanted to be a, a teacher's aide, and she said, oh, no, no you're going to be a teacher. She says, it'll pay a lot more. I love that story. (laughs) And the other story in high school, when I went to my counselor and I said, I'd like to be a special ed teacher. And he looked at me and goes, do you know what that is? (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I do. So funny things you remember, right?
0: (laughs) I'm wondering when you were first a teacher, did you teach science of reading? Were you trained in science of reading? Or how did you actually come to the science of reading?
1: No, I did not. And I have another story about that as well. So in (laughs) 76, I got out of school, you know, and you're just so full of excitement. You just can't wait to be a teacher. And I walked into my trailer, which is (laughs) where I was at. It It was on a naval base. and I walk in and I, you know, you have to set your room up and I'm all excited. And and then I'm thinking, wait a minute, how do I how do I teach these kids to read? I mean, cuz I was given like the 7-year-olds the who were really uh low functioning and they weren't catching on. It was a self-contained classroom at that back in the day. Yeah. So, what does any young person do? You call your mom, right? So, I called my mom. <laughs> I said, "So, how do you how do you teach kids to read?" And she said, "Well, you start with the letters and the sounds and and then you work from there and I'm thinking sounds good to me and she wasn't a teacher you know but I think that's how I think that's how reading was taught back then you know people knew what to do <laughs> intuitively so 10 years later I'm still not figuring it all out it's not coming together for me right and um I taught in Chicago area and I went to a training there from Project Read out of Minnesota uh, Dr. Green and Dr. Enfield, they had this company called Project Green. It was basically all, it was a phonics-based approach, Orton-Gillingham type lesson, very structured, very systematic. And I will never forget how empowered I felt after that training. I was making my sand trays and my blending boards and you know all the stuff, putting finding all my decodable texts. And it was just so exciting to start using that and being effective and having some real, you know, meat and potatoes that you could work with with kids and get them to move noticeably move as opposed to using the basils that we used to have back then. And it was kind of a slower, louder method, you know, just go slower and just speak up and
0: they'll get
1: it. Well, no, they weren't getting it because as, as we know now we weren't getting to the heart of their issues.
0: Yeah. Were you a special ed teacher at that point when you, when you came? Yeah.
1: I graduated from Illinois State University with a special ed degree. And then a year later, I went and got another degree, a master's, but this one was in, um, I just didn't know what to do. I was going to get a reading specialist degree and I just never, I don't know why I didn't. So I went into um, behavior, emotional behavior. That was my first master's, you know, then I went and to school again, and got another master's. And that was in administration. And that was definitely not the route to go. <laughs> Just saying. Mm. For, for you, you mean? For me, for me. Yeah.
0: Although some of the work that you're doing now is very, maybe not administration, very, very much leadership. So um, uh, true. so how is it that I mean, your your Facebook group is all about, you know, getting well, the, the name of it, is all about making sure that teachers are prepared with mm-hmm. with a nod to the fact, not even a nod, explicitly saying that teachers aren't getting this in college. When When is it that you personally came to realize that there's a problem with how this is being taught in higher ed?
1: I think from day one, I just didn't know what to do. Um, when you have to call your mother up to ask, there's there's something wrong there. And so 10 years in, I finally had something that I could sink my teeth into. So that was 88. And that's when Mm -hmm. the whole language movement was in full force. And then I was just kind of stringing along and, what when it really hit home was i became a, a reading interventionist in a title I school and so because i had moved to wisconsin i didn't have the certification i needed so i had to go back to school so this is in 2011 so went back to school and had a virtual you know online program and and i want to say no one should go back to school when they're 57 or 58 it's just <laughs> It's not the smart thing to do, but there I am. And I'm in this program in Wisconsin, and it's basically a reading recovery program. Hmm. And I was so upset because not only was I spending $1,100 every semester, I I wasn't learning anything that that I could use that I know personally knew was not going to be, I just knew this was not going to be effective for kids, especially when you're getting the kids that are highly at risk. You're getting the kids at risk when you're an interventionist, you know, those sure. were their last hope till they yep. go to special ed. And I knew I wasn't getting what I needed. And it was, it was for to be a reading teacher, a 316 license is what they call it in Wisconsin. So that was my first semester. And, um, I'll have to tell you this funny story because it was it has served me well in many ways, um, but not at the time. So I shared with a Wisconsin advocate what I was being taught and showed him the little bookmark that we're being told to use. You know, look at the picture, what makes sense, get your mm-hmm. mouth ready, you know, mm-hmm. the class. So he... On my behalf, filed a complaint with our Department of Public Instruction, and um, soon after that, within days, I got a phone call from the university, and it was not a very pleasant conversation. They were asking me um, why I didn't go to the department head, and you know, just really grilling mm-hmm. me. And um, you know, I, I I I didn't know what to say. I mean, I I had no idea that that was going to happen, and. I was on the phone with this person for over an hour and my husband said, I had to peel you oh. off the ceiling. Cause I was so upset. And they asked me, could I find another program? Is there another place you could go? Wow. I, I mean, I've never been kicked out of a program, right? So, <laughs> so I said to them, no, this is the only program online at the time. So it was a long two years. I'm sure my yeah. name was brought up, you know, my name's so unique anyway. I'm sure they knew who I was. But back to my point of how it served me well, because I knew what the system was and I knew I knew that our schools of education were not giving our teachers, especially the reading teachers, the knowledge they needed. When I became an advocate legislatively and when I testified, I could speak with authority because I had been that person going through that program, and I know for a fact that that program was insufficient in training teachers Mm -hmm. effectively.
0: Hmm. Tell me a little bit more about, well, first of all, you had that sort of science of reading, they didn't call it back then, but that science of reading training back when you were in Chicago, and building on that, so you seeing that discrepancy between what you knew worked and what the research said, and this sort of 3 queuing reading recovery kind of stuff that you were being taught, that that was a waste of money for you to get the certificate so that you could actually do the job. $7,000. Wow. Mm-hmm. It's very frustrating. I've, I've heard other folks, um, Margaret Goldberg from the Right to Read Project is one that comes to mind, that she similarly talks about how frustrated she is that spending that much money and then to have to go find the knowledge yourself and not being able to pay for some of it because you can't afford to pay for it. You already paid for this ridiculous degree that didn't teach you what you needed to be taught. So, I'm sure our listeners out there can really sort of relate to that.
1: Oh, I hear that all the time on the Facebook group. All the time. Yeah. And and yeah. it's not just for it's not undergrad, it's not it's for masters and doctorates. It's all the way up.
0: All the way up. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. Hopefully things are changing. We'll we'll come back to that in a minute, but you mentioned you sort of dropped a little fun fact in there about speaking in front of the legislature. <laughs> what was <laughs> what was that about? I'm sure our listeners would love to hear that. So, um
1: it, it's a funny thing. I moved to Wisconsin in in 04, not knowing a soul. <laughs> but my work, um I was a transition specialist and in my work I got to meet a lot of people around the state. And, you know, one thing led to another and you just start talking to people and there's a community of of advocates here in Wisconsin I got to meet and work with. And um, one thing led to another and I served on a right to read legislative committee and I was appointed by the governor for that. And then in 2018, I served on a dyslexia study committee and that's where the law act 86 came out. It was our very first dyslexia. The word dyslexia was used in Wisconsin in a guidebook. And uh, so it's a handbook for dyslexia and related conditions is what it's called. Hmm. And then because of that, I had to do lots of legislation, uh, lobbying and testifying to support the bill. So, you know, there, there we are, crazy women running around the Capitol building, going, knocking on doors, you know, and talking to people and the legislators and selling our story and trying to get people to understand what's going on.
0: What's interesting about that, and I remember talking to you about this in the pre-call when we had a chat, is going from the high school kid that wasn't confident enough to say, I want to be a teacher and said, I want to be a teacher's aide, to knocking on legislators doors. Could you ever have imagined that? No. you would have come to, to that? Work? No,
1: no. And, you know, life brings you good and bad things. And this has been definitely an incredible blessing for me. And um, gives me chills to even think of I mean, I, I can't believe how my life has changed. But more importantly, how we've been able to influence so many thousands and thousands of parents, teachers, and students around the world
0: yeah let's let's talk a little bit about that because that is the story of the Facebook group, right, right. which is what all of our listeners will relate to you with is this Facebook group. How did you come to decide I'm gonna start a Facebook group. Where did that come from?
1: well <laughs> I've told this story many times, and I hope my our listeners you know, have never heard this, but it was the summer of 2019, and I had probably that week, I'm pretty sure it was that week, I had testified to the uh, Senate Education Committee about the Dyslexia Handbook. And I, I, I remember sitting there saying, I'm going to write a book one day, and it's going to be called The Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College. Because I had just talked about, I shared with them my experience at my um, reading certification that I had to get, and yet the colleges of education weren't talking to us, right? They weren't doing what they were supposed to be doing. So it made me mad, and it made me upset. And so um, I didn't even know what a Facebook group was. I had no idea. And I was on my computer looking at my personal Facebook and I see this thing on the side in the menu and it says groups. Groups, pages, and whatever the menu mm-hmm, is. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hmm, what's that? So I clicked <laughs> on it and it says, you could start a group. I'm like, hmm, let me see what this is all about. And then you have you have to invite all your friends. So I'm clicking away, inviting all my friends, I don't know, maybe 30 people and before you know it, it was like 50. And and, I, and I'm saying to my husband, hey, I got like 50 people that are following me. And then and it just kept going up and up and up. It was just, you know, I look back. I wish I had recordings of how crazy excited I was, you know, but now. <laughs> so the name of the Facebook
0: group, say, say it again? What Science of Reading, What I Should Have Learned in College. What I Should Have Learned in College was supposed to be the title of a book, and it turned into a right. Facebook group.
1: Well, <laughs> okay. I'm not a writer by any means. And you know, <laughs> books are static. So yeah, this has worked out great. <laughs> you
0: know? And I think you told me stories of people that have, like, this is beyond just a Facebook group now, right? Like people across the country and all over the world have reached out to you because of this.
1: Yes. Um, I had a woman reach out a couple of weeks ago she's from Botswana which is in southern Africa and she is highly motivated to put a dyslexia awareness uh symposium together mm. so i thought hmm that sounds interesting so i tapped um Jennifer Hasser from Kendor Learning because <clears throat> she has a heart for kids in Africa cuz she's done some work there and so we're we're going to meet every other week and we're looking at doing some sort of and i suggested she wanted it to be live and i said "Mm, that's probably not gonna work out for most people (laughs) yeah you know we can shrink the world certainly with zoom and so that's what we're gonna do so it's been that's Mm. been cool um i've got a lot of stories from people i talked to a woman in antarctica i mean it's just wow I know it's just so a Brazil one Sunday morning I was talking to a woman from Brazil
0: hmm. and
1: and just from the page we've spawned most of the states have their own science of reading blank blank blank, you know some of them did not want to take the name, yeah because of its um kind of snarky kind of uh sound to it, and I understand that, so they created their own, but they created one right, and that's the point. Um, we've had a lot of offshoots from that, um, an administrator page, science reading for administrators, Stephanie Stoller started reading, reading rockets, teaching, reading rocket science, something like that. It's for, um, higher ed and, mm-hmm. um, oh gosh, S-O-R-K-1-2, Courtney Niblick started that.
0: I mean, it goes on and on. Hmm. That's, a, that's amazing. And what, what do you think that, um, for those, uh, Well, for those listeners that don't know about the Facebook group, which I'm sure there's not that many, but, you know, from your point of view, what do you think this Facebook group is offering folks? Right from the get-go,
1: I wanted it to be a place that both teachers and parents could come to for just honest discussion and just a safe place to be to discuss or ask about their needs or, you know, what can I do if that sort of thing Mm -hmm. that's what we were looking for it's been really hard striking that balance um because not everyone that's there is there for the mission they're there for their own um their own way to have their ability to speak their their side of the story and Mm -hmm. so there's mixed messages going out there and sometimes the the post can get a little heated and so We have to monitor that closely, but I I feel it's important to have a relationship with the people that are on the, um, even though it's hard, you know, there's so many people, but I want my moderators and myself to be trusted and to be looked upon as a source of information. And if we don't know, we know where to go to find that information.
0: Yeah you talk about mo- um, you have some moderators that help you out when did you realize this is bigger this is bigger than Donna can handle <laughs> oh that's the
1: funny part too so I, I didn't know I didn't know anything about putting doing a Facebook group so um, so we started in August of 2019 I realized in January that there were these things called moderators. <laughs> Somebody can help me. (laughs) Someone can help me. Because at that point, I was just spending hours on my own. Every day? Every day. Seven days a week. Every single day. Hmm. So I started finding moderators, you know, kind of like a job application. I would say, I need some moderators. And people would raise their hand. And we have a really good, strong group of teachers, researchers, moms that are so dedicated and we have our own little, you know, a science moderator uh, message group. So, you know, we don't know whether we should approve a post. We talk about it and talk about if it's going to be a good thing or not a good thing. And um, because we're all professionals, you know, we're all in the same, we all want to know interesting things. And so we ask each other questions. Have you heard about this? And what do you know about this? And it's just been a great group i really enjoy the moderators
0: so how many moderators do you have that help you i want to say 17. wow this is like a a machine
1: it it is (laughs) it is i mean we have on a busy day we could have over a hundred posts to approve wow and on you know a typical day it might be 30 or 40 um Hmm. that's still a lot and here's another issue we've had because we're constantly getting new people that are really new to the science they're asking very very much similar questions you know what's the best decodable um what's a good phonics program and so we've canned those answers and we refer them to our guide because we're considered a social learning group which is a different group um a social learning group has guides and files where you can archive posts. And so okay. we refer people to those posts because you you don't want to lose your audience either with redundant questions. Wow. But I always remind the moderators, it's not new to us, but it's new to them. That's right. And our dear teachers are coming and they are brand spanking new to the science. Have never heard about it. Don't know what it is. What can I do? How do I start using it?
0: Hmm. Get that all the time. So for for somebody that was on Facebook and didn't know what a group was, it feels like now you are like a super user of the Facebook groups. And I wonder, in hindsight, if you're like, oh, my goodness, what did I do? (laughs) What did I open up? I think about that. Um, I had someone tell
1: me or say to me the other day, have you thought about who you're going to leave this to? Oh. 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 <laughs> so, hmm. No, I haven't thought about that. Because mm-hmm. it it's a growing animal that is not going to stop. And um and I don't want it to stop. It needs to stay alive and, and serve its mission.
0: Yeah, clear I think a, that that's clear that it's serving its mission. And I think a couple things here that really stand out to me is I'm not sure that people that are engaging in the Facebook actually understand how big and how much work it actually takes until you're in the thick of having to monitor and monitor and monitor Mm -hmm. and continue to grow this thing and move it forward in a positive direction. And so for all of our listeners and all the users of that Facebook group, we want to tell you thank you for what you do, because it's a big job. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you. For saying that and the other thing is is that I really feel like this has been a mechanism to sort of crack open this issue of higher education because it's been really hard to change things in in higher ed. Do you agree with that?
1: Oh yes, I'm experiencing that here in Wisconsin. It's been a challenge. Um, I don't think I mentioned this, but I just resigned from this position as a president of the Literacy Task Force
0: hmm. of
1: Wisconsin. And we were we're a nonprofit that promotes evidence based practices through trainings and uh, fundraising to uh, give scholarships to teachers. So that's our mission. And in that role, I've been trying to work with higher ed. And we have been successful in getting some higher ed folks to the table to talk about where they're at. As I mentioned earlier, the process legislatively was not pretty. Um we've had lots of opposition in Wisconsin from our uh Wisconsin State Reading Association. And so they came and testified against us every single time we were we had a legislative hearing. And so I met a professor there that has actually done a 180 on her mm-hmm. her thinking and is now now has a, a course in dyslexia, um, the actual first course in Wisconsin. and there's another gal at um, another university and she is also she also has a course in dyslexia. There's another professor that we um, I will tell you what convinced this professor was when I was working with a school district and the school district asked me if she showed me a brochure about this reading program, the three sixteen, and she says, Is this science of reading aligned? And I looked and I looked at the professor and she was a reading recovery trained mm-hmm. professor, you know, and I looked up her credentials and I said, No, I don't think this is going to be fit, you know, fit our needs. And so um that special ed director actually picked up the phone and talked to her and expressed why she would not be sending teachers to that program and that opened the door for a discussion and so we've had this discussion i have a small cohort going of there's about seven or eight or seven or eight or nine of us working together periodically to just have discussions about science of reading and how you could change your programming. I'm referring them to Mount St. Joseph's syllabi and their programming. And we talk about letters and, you know, getting advanced training that way. And, and they're very interested in, in doing that. So I think the door has been cracked and, um, it it has to happen and it has to happen by having relationships with people. You just can't walk in and just say, you know, this is the way it needs to be done. It's a slow process.
0: Mm. Can you articulate some of the barriers or, you know, some things Mm -hmm. that you encounter when you're talking to folks and helping them make this shift in thinking?
1: Sure. Um, Well, it would be like someone came into your office and said, you know what? I don't like the way you're doing this. It's not working for me. This is not effective. Right away, you're going to take a very defensive stance, right? Yeah. And that's what's going on higher ed has a um, the ability to choose what they want to teach. There's a term for it. I forgot what it's called. Um, academic freedom. And so you have that. And then I think people um, travel in different circles, different academic circles. So if you're trained in a certain way you're only exposing yourself to those researchers doing those things and that type of information and so you don't know other sources of information of other researchers and what else might be going on and so you you're in this very tight closed circle and you can't that's a barrier you know change isn't i just heard this quote the other day i just love it change is inevitable growth is optional
0: Oh, that's great.
1: <laughs> Isn't it great? Yeah. And it's so true. And I'm going through that right now with, you know, the page. I'm looking at a speech to print approach. Um, never even heard of it. But I'm, mm. I'm looking at it and thinking, hmm, there's something to this. And mm. I would be remiss if I didn't, if I didn't embrace change, then I and having that closed mind, then I would be no better than the people we're trying to help change their thinking.
0: Mm. Mm. So it works both ways. For sure. That's a great reminder to all of us. How do you feel? I mean, I'm sure teachers in your Facebook group, and, and in other places, are really expressing a frustration, though, about not getting the training that they need. Do you feel like university professors, literacy professors are hearing that or seeing that at all or or, or not? Well,
1: I, I believe they are. Certainly not as fast as I would like to see it happen, <laughs> but it, it is happening. Um, there was a summit I don't think you were there though for the reading league had a higher ed summit the day before yeah. the reading league. There were, I don't know, 150, maybe 150 professors, higher ed folks that were there and some were new. That was the job. If you were coming, you had to bring someone who was new to it or interested in it or oh. curious about it. Yeah. And so from that group, I know there's been another get together that, is coming from that, so, and that's headed up by Stephanie Stoller, and it, and it's just it it's happening, but it's happening slowly. But it's happening, so yeah, that's yeah. the best part.
0: I did miss that, and and for our listeners, the Mount Saint Joseph University does have on their website model syllabi, right? That yes, folks mm-hmm. can look at, and. Is Stephanie Stoller's group called Stars? Do I have that right? It is, and I can't remember what what it stands for. We will we will link in the show notes to that, so that folks can check it out. Um, So with with all of this, what do what do you think? You know, you say progress is slow. What do you think more is needed to make faster progress? Listen to me; it's always like, can we do this faster? It should have been done
1: yesterday. Um, Yeah. I just think it's just going to be a very slow process. Um, learning the science of reading is not a—you get it in one day. It's—it's it's not like that. It's a journey, and it—it it takes time to assimilate everything you read, and and then turning that into a practice, and and shifting thinking of millions of people is <laughs> not easy. It's a big job, and it's going to take decades
0: Hmm.
1: that's my prediction Hmm. i don't think i'm going to see the complete shift in my lifetime um, but i am very hopeful that we can get some larger power to make it you know more accessible to teachers on a grander scale i.e you know legislation through states and there, there are several states like Tennessee, North Carolina, Louisiana, Connecticut, have all passed legislation at the pre-service level and in-service level. And we need more of that.
0: When you're thinking about sort of this science of reading momentum, um, the movement that the Reading League calls it, are you feeling hopeful that this is something more than just a, what people are saying is a pendulum swing?
1: Um. I've heard that it is. Um, The name also, as good as it is, it's, um, you know, maybe we could add science of reading evidence, something like that. I mean, it's it's just, um, and we know what happens with names. Common Core was a perfect example, right? And so we have to be very careful about that. People are threatened by it, and they feel like it's just another pendulum swing. It'll go back. You know, and again, it's that understanding of of what you do with kids, because once you know, you won't go back.
0: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. That's so true. I wish our listeners could see your face when you said that. So um, you got a yeah. deep sense of, of of passion that came through when you once you know that you don't go back, do you?
1: You don't go back. You just you do what's best for kids and that all kids.
0: Hmm. yeah. Yeah, and I'm kind of with you on that science of reading name as it's become really ubiquitous and a little Mm -hmm. meaningless too. And Mm -hmm. it's not just about reading; it's about reading and writing and
1: word recognition
0: and comprehension. And it's just kind of the whole package.
1: And that it's not just phonics, right? Um, That's right. And that's (laughs) that's why understanding the knowledge of what it is, is so critical. People have to know it's just not phonics. Mm. There's a, a whole lot to learn about how how the brain learns to read and, and optimizing that for
0: learners. And when we talk about the science part of it, just like you alluded to, is that it continues, we continue to learn um, nuances and and different things. So it's not a it is a journey. It's not a one and done. You just don't learn it and you're done and then you can go. It's, it's a continual true. state of improvement, right?
1: And especially for teachers, you know, I certainly am not the same teacher, you know, who had asked my mother, you know, <laughs> about learning, <laughs> how do you teach a kid to read? If we don't grow, then, then there's something wrong. We're not doing something right. If we're not growing and adding to our toolbox and becoming... um you know, more nuanced, or just developing better skills. You, you, even the first five years of teaching is, is really hit or miss. You know, <laughs> you really don't know. <laughs> You're like, I don't know if I'm doing this right. <laughs> you know, and uh, it's just like anything else. You know, you get better and better at it the longer you do it. So if we just stay stagnant and are closed minded to new things that are out there, then we can't grow.
0: Mm, So true. And that's Mm -hmm. so great about the Facebook group, because you continue to, like I said, propel that movement forward. So it's not sort of stuck, or it doesn't have a negative sort of nasty flair that social media can sometimes get.
1: Right. We're working on that, too, too. We want, we want to bring out, it's called the science of reading. So we want to make sure that we're bringing everything that's out there, any research that we hear, whether you agree with it or not, to the forefront. Yeah. You know, it's the right thing to do.
0: And teachers don't often have access to that. That's the other thing, too, is it's hard to get access.
1: The access and the translation.
0: Yeah. It's true. So I, I, I just kind of wonder, this last question for you is when you think about your Facebook group, what do you, what do you hope happens to it? What are your goals? My to keep it alive,
1: to keep people coming, to make sure it serves its its mission and in a healthy way. You know, I, I being this is our third year and um, almost three, not even three and a half, and I'm certainly not the same person I was three years ago. I do have a clearer head about it because I think for the first two years. I just kept like, what is happening? What is (laughs) happening? And now I realize that it's happened. (laughs) And (laughs) and, um, now what? And so I I don't really have an answer for you because I'm not sure what the future holds. All I know is that the mission is going to continue. I'm going to keep trying to bring guests on and and hold events and to um, just keep moving forward
0: the best I can. And if someday colleges of education, we teaching all of the science of reading that teachers need to have to prepare them to be teachers in the classroom. Do you think there's still going to be a need for this face book group? Um, I would
1: say yes. And the reason I say that is, is because science is always evolving.
0: Hmm.
1: And so if this is a vehicle to get current information or to get information that you can use in your classroom i'm hoping it stays alive Hmm.
0: i'm sure those folks that are well i'm in that facebook group too but all of us hope it stays alive too and again from all of the folks that are regular consumers of that facebook group we appreciate your willingness to click the group button on Facebook, figure out what that means, and then help this community grow. So thank you, Donna.
1: Yep. See what happens when you're curious.
0: <laughs> it is so true. It is so true.
1: Yeah. Well, thank, thank you so thank much you. for
0: joining us today. We appreciate you. And again, we appreciate for you for what you're doing in that Facebook group as well.
1: Thanks for the... This has been an honor and a privilege, and I'm just so happy you had me on. Thanks so much.
0: You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening to my conversation with Donna Heitmanik. Please check out the show notes for link to the Facebook group Science of Reading What I Should Have Learned in College. And if you haven't already, please join our Facebook community as well. Science of Reading the Community. It's the best place to keep in touch with us. Next time on the show, we're speaking with Jasmine Rogers, a doctoral student at American University. She's been researching teacher beliefs and knowledge of Black English. A strength of children that are bi-dialectal is the similar strength to students that are bilingual. They have an ability to take language that is different from theirs and translate it. That right there is an asset. That's next time on Science of Reading the Podcast, and thank you so much for listening.